0: Welcome to the What I Meant to Say podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, founder of Be Better Media and a mom of four, passionate about human connection. I was so honored to sit down this week with Benita Fitzgerald Mosley, University of Tennessee track star and 1984 gold medalist in the 100-meter hurdles. With her own daughter beginning her career at the University of Maryland this fall, we talked about raising athletes, the lessons learned through sports, and how to communicate with coaches. Then we got into her passion for her job at League Apps, which gives better opportunities in communication for youth athletes across the country. What an honor it was to chat with this athlete for life. Well, I am so honored to be here today with you, Benita. Um, I was a child of the 84 Olympics, and it was the first Olympics that I remember. Um, My mom swears I was glued to the 76 games um but I don't remember that so 84 was really the year that I became an absolute just fan of every Olympic story and the backstory behind all the athletes and yeah as much as I first
1: started doing the yeah scenes and you know all that with ABC exactly personal I think they called it
0: Yes, and that, I mean, I remember watching that and just and just gravitating towards those stories. So I'm really, really honored that you are here today um, to share your story with what I meant to say. And um, I would love to just, you know, dig in and find out like what led you in your early life to expose you to athletics and track and field. And um, yeah, let's just start there. I am
1: uh, the daughter of two educators and they were really adamant that my younger sister and I try all different kinds of extracurricular activities, certainly uh, focused on our schoolwork and getting good grades, but they knew uh, and saw the value of being involved in sports and music and other types of activities. So I think between you know first grade and maybe sixth or seventh grade, I tried several different instruments, piano and violin, and finally landed on flute. I tried majorettes and softball and um, a little bit of basketball and gymnastics and finally ended up with track. And so by seventh grade, I was on the gymnastics team, you know, tall, lanky kids, so never going to be a great Gymnast uh, scored really low on all my competitions, <laughs> but it was, you know, a middle school that really didn't cut people. So I was on the team and enjoyed it, took private lessons in the whole nine yards. And our middle school teacher, um, Coach Gwen Washington, friend of the family, our mothers were friends and colleagues. And she said, You know, Benita, I see that you beat all the boys in middle school. Uh, you're fast than the boys, you should come out for the track team. Thank God. She kind of did that nice little pivot for me. And yeah. I went out for track that fall of my seventh grade year. So at 12 years old, and you know, I never looked back. I mean, I won all my races the first year. I uh, certainly fell a couple of times in the hurdles, but that was, that was my sport. You know, I kept on doing gymnastics for another year. Uh, until I finished middle school but that she set me on my way so that was really it I'm, I'm just fortunate that my parents obliged me yeah. <laughs> and all my different interests until I could find the thing or things that really resonated or that I really had a talent for in music and sports and uh, i just really really fortunate
0: yeah and and of it, course it, that it, coach
1: Washington you know put the puzzle pieces together for me
0: Absolutely. Like, and that is one of my favorite things to watch. And I know, um, you believe that too, but just that the knowledge that comes from good coaches and how that they really can set athletes along yeah. the path, um, that helps. Yeah, them. I,
1: I had all female coaches really with the exception of the sprint coaches in college and, and after like my actual hurdle coach, but yeah, the head coach in college, head coach in two different head coaches in high school, my head coach in Middle school, all females.
0: That's fabulous. Yeah. I can see. And great role I,
1: models, wonderful women. Uh yeah, what, I'm still what, friends with all of them today.
0: And I am I'm still friends with my high school volleyball coach. It's one of my favorite relationships. I yeah, love same here. I, yeah. I look I look back on that and go, wow, she was 25. She was yeah, just out same, of college. Same, right. Same. Yes. And now she's a contemporary almost, yeah. but in those days I was looking back going, she was such a authority figure and now we're all friends. So yeah. it's, it's really great. We did a bunch of Zooms during COVID and it, it's such an amazing thing because obviously you've been to the top of, of your sport, but the relationships that we build with the people along Doesn't the way.
1: Matter. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the integral part of who we are and how we develop. And I was just with my college coach last week and Eugene and uh, hung out with her three different times. I oh, was there goodness. only there five days, but yeah, we went to do lunch or breakfast, I guess it was. And we went. Uh, she was doing a coaching clinic, so I hung out at the clinic for a couple couple Very afternoons. Very cool. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so you did. You did your 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 college athletic experience was at um the University of Tennessee. Yes, it was. Right, Lady What mm-hmm. was um what what was your coach's name?
1: Terry Crawford.
0: Terry Crawford, yeah, I know that Mm, name. (laughs) Um, legendary. So, what were some of the favorite? What were some of your favorite qualities in in her? Well, when we first got on, well, I
1: met her as a high schooler, obviously, Mm -hmm. but early high school because we would go from Virginia to Tennessee for their Tom Black Track Classic every year. It was a high school meet, you know, brought kids from all of the southeast and the east coast and. So we went every year, we took the long van trip, you know, from from Virginia, a select number of our high school uh, team. And so Terry took notice of me right away. And I'm sure that was a major reason why they hosted the meet. It was a great recruiting opportunity for them. And I got to know her a little bit then. But I remember getting on campus first, you know, week or so of school and, you know, it's the first adult I ever called by their first name. She's like, oh, I'm Terry, you know, not Coach Crawford, not Coach Terry, Terry. And so at 18 years old, we able to call this, you know, she's probably late 20s, early 30s, uh, by their first name, I just thought, I, I, it made me feel grown, you know? And it put us on more of a level playing field. Uh, not that she wasn't the authority, she, because she was very much in command of that team mm-hmm. and the culture of the team and you know, decision-making and all that. But she uh, made it so that we looked upon her more, as a, as a friend, as a mother figure, sister figure, you know what I mean? Somebody who was there for yeah. us and in, in more of a peer like relationship. And so that I think set the culture for the team in a really positive way.
0: Yeah. That feels like there's a real female energy to that coaching spirit. And yeah. how do you think she was able to maintain that line between that authority figure and really, being... oh, you know,
1: you never, you never questioned. Yeah. yeah. She didn't, uh, she was friendly. And, you know, she, we were just talking about whenever we'd go to the Miller's games in the winter, or other meets. So she would pluck the two or three of us that were national level world class athletes. And she would make sure we got to the best competition that, that she could get us to, in addition to the collegiate stuff that we we're doing. And sometimes in lieu of a dual meet or something, we wow. would go to a, another competition and she would, go with us. And she said, I remember every year we'd go to New York, we'd run in the garden once, twice a year. And uh, we'd end up every time, you know, taking our little per diem money. We might go get some McDonald's, but we take our little per diem money and go down the street to Macy's and do a little shopping. And she, she and I were just reminiscing of how much fun that was. So she made great decisions. She, you know, we won the national championship when I was a sophomore. We were ranked top two or three in the, in the nation every year. We had an amazing group of young women. We're all still connected. And uh, Joetta Clark uh, was on my team, and Ta- Talitha Diggs is her daughter. And yeah. my daughter's going to Maryland next in the fall. And her daughter's at Florida, made the world championship team, got a gold medal in the four by four. And so the four of us and Terry were all together. Oh, and it was gosh. just.
0: You know, that's amazing. Legacy I, love,
1: continues. I yeah.
0: love watching this generations and I love watching athletic genes because that is, yeah. it's incredible. It's, a, it's a thing. Yeah. Oh, it is for sure a thing. And yeah. I, it is, it's so fun to watch because yeah. um, especially when you have learned all the lessons that you've learned through sports and then you're able to pass those on. Mm-hmm. Um And I know you've been you know, integral, and I can through your story, um, with Title IX and this being the fiftieth anniversary of Title IX. Tell me, um, how how that has Im- impacted your athletic career, and then watching your daughter go where she is. You know, maybe some of the the things that you've seen through her generation.
1: Well, Title IX passed as I entered middle school, so those middle school experience sports experiences that I had as a gymnast, as a track and field athlete, having a coach like Coach Washington, all made possible because of Title IX and not only the law itself, but the school district that I was in that em- fully embraced uh, equal opportunities for girls in sport. I never felt uh, growing up that I had any fewer opportunities. I, I just took advantage of everything that was made available. And my parents certainly made themselves aware of those opportunities and unveiled them to us. And we, um, we were just very fortunate and, you know, get to high school, gosh, the high school head coach, Ann Lockett, the my freshman year, we won our fourth straight state championship in wow. track and field. So she had already coached three by the time I got there. We got our fourth straight. And then she coached a gymnastics team and the basketball team to state championships.
0: Oh, my so goodness.
1: We had a softball team. We had, you know, we had all kinds of different sports at high school. Again, the high school girls were equally uh, equal to the boys and never felt like on the track team in particular since it's co-ed that yeah. the boys had any advantage over us and I don't know it was it was a great great sports environment our our school was had a bunch of great athletes come out In we've had three track and field olympians from my high school
0: what's the name of your high school
1: Garfield Senior High School in okay. uh, Woodbridge Virginia yeah
0: it's pretty so, legendary <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so it's you know, it, it was just uh, a law that transformed girls sports. And uh, if it weren't for sport, most of the benefits, most of the things that have happened in my life would have happened. So I call my gold medal and my sports participation the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I always say um, I have four kids and, and I always say like my, my athletic journey even really has been a heavy influence in the way I parent because mm-hmm. you know you you learn so many things coming through difficult times you, you you're when you know when your your body's stressed your mind how to calm your mind how to oh yeah the things that you learn in sports that you really are able to translate to so many different areas of your yeah. life
1: keeping your cool through ups and downs and um and just i think too appreciating the good times when you have them because sometimes people might take those those highs for granted and as an athlete you know you're only as good as your last race in many cases or or game or match or whatever and you know yeah i scored however many kills in that match or i you know ran a school record and guess what next week somebody broke your school record you know somebody uh you didn't qualify for the final or you you know what i mean yeah oh absolutely Uh, so it's all kinds of things that can happen in any given, and you can't be on the roller coaster ride. You have to somehow uh, maintain an even keel, certainly embrace and appreciate the good, good times, but you can't get too super low during the bad times.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering, one of the, one of my things that I really like to focus on is this intersection between parents, coaches, and athletes, and being that you've been all three at some point, Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice for um, parents out there um, as to like how you raised your daughter or how we can improve the communication in that in that sector? Mm-hmm.
1: You know it's nice when you have two parents, I have to say. my husband and I have uh, both for our older son and our daughter have played a bit of good good cop, bad cop sometimes with the coaches. Okay. I maintain usually the strong relationship with the coach you know texting them and you know nice and everything else and my husband is the one that comes in and says you know blah 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 blah, or have has that sidebar conversation with the coach when something's going awry and it has kept a nice balance in our family uh, my daughter can always depend on me to kind of be there by her side be her advocate my husband is too don't get me wrong um, but in those cases, particularly, she's had all male coaches except for one. Mm-hmm. So in many times it's mano and mano better for my husband to have those mm-hmm. uh, conversations. And so, you know, with her high school um, uh, track coach in particular, you know, a couple times that that was just necessary just to ensure that she got what she needed and we were able to keep, keep things going for her. This mm-hmm. COVID situation was so tough. Oh. Talk about communication that you had to take advantage of every opportunity because there were so few opportunities for those, those kids, particularly in 2020 and 2021.
0: Yeah. I, I was having a conversation with another athlete and a coach uh, mom yesterday that, um and we were talking about that very thing. My son was in the class of 2020. So his freshman year was going uh-huh. into being an athlete at Stanford and um you know, not being able to go on campus, not that just really not knowing you know where things were going i can't
1: even, it's, I can't even imagine it, it was a yeah.
0: real challenge and we were talking about how to use you know talk about a resilient story that this that generation's going to have
1: oh but i know it I was really all that yeah my son for the most part is just since 2020 just been going to school um virtually it's just he's had some other kind of health challenges and so it made it easier so sometimes there's a silver lining uh, absolutely you know, and he'll graduate in the spring. And it's mainly because he's able to have this backup plan to yeah. continue at, at Morehouse College where he's uh, he's going to school. So yeah, I think my parenting for her in particular, my husband took more of the lead with my son uh, playing basketball, but he ran track as well. But I think for, for my daughter, I stepped in as her kind of doing all the recruiting.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: facilitation. And so that's a different kind of coach-parent-athlete relationship when you're trying to find that magic fit, you know, for your child. And my advice really for parents as as your kids are entering their junior year, um, and certainly, you know, before November 1st, when they're applying to all these schools, is to be very involved. I know we often like to just say, oh, they're, you know, we need to teach them some responsibility and the follow-up and the emails out and the this and the that. But I found that, you know, I still have to log into her her email, you know, and sometimes <clears throat> she's practicing, she's, you know, got AP classes, she's got competitions, she's trying to have some semblance of a, you know, itty-bitty social life. And and so there needs to be a partnership from what do the kids want? Where are they trying to go? What schools are they interested in? For me, my coach Terry told me, don't tender any school where you don't know the coach. And so a lot of that onus was on me. After she identified the types of schools, the school level of school and all that, then it, it sounded on me. Do I know the coach? Do I not know the coach? Do I want to outreach? What who do you outreach to first? All of that. And ends up, you know, a former teammate's going to be your coach, Andrew Valman
0: that's that's fantastic yeah and obviously you have that knowledge having gone through right so I
1: certainly have an advantage that the vast majority of parents don't have but my point though is that there's so much many scholarships and opportunities for these kids both academic and athletic and most coaches like to make some combination of financial aid um scholarship academic scholarship and athletic scholarship because they can make their athletic money go that much further and so the onus then is on the parent and uh and the child to ensure that they're applying for all the ways that they might be able to help get their school you know paid for covered yeah Yeah,
0: that is a really good point and i don't think it's it's not easy to get that information if you don't dig you don't
1: yeah if you don't dig and The parents um, also tend to think, well, if my kid's good enough, the coaches will come to me, come to my child. No, they don't know. There's tens of thousands in case, some cases, a couple million kids playing that sport. How are they supposed to fare through all those kids? They won't know that A, who you are, or B, that you are actually interested in their school unless you tell them.
0: Yes. I, I very I remember distinctly my son sitting down with a coach and that coach being very honest about we want to be your first choice. And so for that athlete to also learn how to be to know kind of where their mind is and be able to be honest in that because it is mm-hmm. a it, it is a fit, right? And oh and that's true. Yeah.
1: That's true. And then you know, my daughter tends to be a more on the shy side, and so all of those calls with coaches and having to ask questions and doing the official visits and, you know, not having me by her side, she's got to go off with the team and hang out with the coach. And, uh, but that she said she matured so much in that process and, you know, started to come into her own, gave her a lot of confidence, uh, helped her get over some of her social kind of anxiety. So yeah, yeah, it was a great learning opportunity for her.
0: Well, it sounds like you manage that balance really well because it is a, it's a fine line with you know, pushing them just enough and yeah. but also being that really strong source of support. So well, I keep on telling them this is my scholarship.
1: <laughs> 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 because and I don't mean it from the standpoint of controlling it. I mean it the more money you get, the less money I pay. Right. <laughs> and so I have a best, literally have a vested interest in ensuring that we maximize all the opportunities. And so uh, when you allow those opportunities to falter because people didn't follow up, you didn't read your email, you didn't mm-hmm. you know, apply in time, whatever, that's money out of the family's pocket that really didn't have to happen. And, and that, I mean, certainly if you're wealthy and can afford, it doesn't matter, then I'm not really talking to you. But most of us, uh, you know, yeah, college, you, yeah
0: it's start, a big expenditure.
1: Yeah. To money or not, if you don't have to spend it, it's all the better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And they're working hard for it. And if they mm-hmm. have the talent and the you know the the drive to get there, um, yeah. what are some of the ways? How did you help your daughter guide her towards the type of school beyond knowing oh, wow. the coach? She had done
1: visits with my son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just you know, just kind of school visit, kind of stuff, not official visits. And so she got to get a feel. But if I'm being honest, she'll tell you. She did not have a clue what kind of school she didn't any, she didn't have a dream school she mm-hmm. hadn't heard of most colleges she didn't understand D one D two D three she all of that knowledge she had a huge learning curve she had this very concentrated amount of time in the fall when she started trying to get herself up to speed and so what she thought. I won't say, she She stuck to her guns that she wanted a big school, she wanted a football team, she want, didn't want an urban environment. Uh, she wanted more of a, a, a closed-in campus feel. Mm-hmm. And so in the final analysis, that's what she got with Maryland, right? Yeah. But it was a windy road to get there because, because she'd been playing volleyball and not concentrating on track. She didn't have, and because of COVID, she didn't mm-hmm. have, the marks that a lot of kids did that started running at eight years old. And so uh, there was a lot of faith that people put in the fact that she is the daughter of an Olympian, that her times were dropping so precipitously and that, you know, looking at her and her athletic ability all the way around, yeah, she's somebody that is worth taking a risk on and uh, kind of as a development project, if you will. Now, yeah. how much are they going to invest in that? Is it a full scholarship? Is it less than that? Whatever. And it ran the gamut mm-hmm. as to what kind of offer she got. But she found out that she had to open up her purview a little bit just to get the offers coming in, and then she could make a more informed decision. So, regardless of what the kids think they want, sometimes they just don't know. And so, I would suggest having a variety of schools. Oh, I really want to be a big school. I really want to. Be a, you know, top tier, like a power five school. Well, go to some, you know, tier two D1 schools, go to some really small D1 schools, go to some bigger D2 schools, go to some D3 schools that maybe you just got to get academic money for, because you're not going to get athletic scholarship and have them visit a variety of places because they might just surprise themselves.
0: Yeah. And I do think that when you get, to that one place, there is a different feeling to when you find like, oh, this might be it. Yeah. Did you feel that type of feeling when you found Tennessee? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was a different era. You couldn't do five or six visits. You had to do three Mm -hmm. uh, that they could pay for, or maybe actually back then it was AIAW. It wasn't even NCAA when I first got to college. It happened while I was in college. they uh, wouldn't pay for your travel. You paid for your own travel. So, whereas I had sixty or seventy at full at full scholarship offers, I went to Tennessee, UVA, and Penn State because they were driving distance. and uh-huh. um, so those were my three official visits that okay. you know, maxed it out. And because I had been going to the school every year for this track meet, I felt very comfortable. I'd go to UVA two or three times a year, too, for Meads. But I think it was, I loved Coach Craddock. He, God rest his soul. But I, um, I really felt like Tennessee was the place for me.
0: Hey, I hope you're enjoying this chat as much as I am. For more great content, courses, and lifestyle, go to BeBetterMedia.tv. That's amazing.
1: And, and, yeah. In hindsight, going back to Title IX, Tennessee was one of the, the first, I think, D1 programs to really hit the map in women's sports and that in large part because of, um, Pat summit. Oh,
0: yes. Basketball. absolute legend of a coach. Yeah, she, she yeah. was,
1: but the thing is track and field women won our first national championship at university of Tennessee. Okay. And we did it before Pat. Wow. So, um, it, it, we had a legacy of amazing women's sports at, at, Tennessee across the board, not just
0: basketball. Yeah. Um. Did you have much um contact, or did you know Pat Summit? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, The last time I saw her, I was the key uh, keynote um commencement speaker in 2011 or 2012, and it was the winter. The only they have such a big school that in the spring they have graduations per school. Yes. And in the winter they have the all-in-one graduation for um kind of mid midway through the year. So you don't know it's thousands of of kids graduating. It was fun. It was in the uh Thomas Bowling Arena. And it was the middle of basketball season or beginning of basketball season. And they were preparing for a preseason tournament and uh Pat had several girls graduating. And so she went to the graduation and heard me speak. And so afterwards they had done a reception at the basketball training venue. And I looked down and she waved at me and waved me down. So I went down on the court. And this is right as she they had announced that she was, you know, she had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I was worried. That she wasn't gonna remember when she smiled and waved, I was like, Oh, God, get, get down there, get my heart, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, she didn't she passed just a you know, a few short years later. I mean, it took her really fast. Yeah. So that was one of my fondest memories of Pat Summit.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, she's an absolute legend of a coach. I mean, there's not there's Absolutely. so many, so many speeches and things you can look back on that she said that have influenced so many people. And, mm-hmm. um, so tell me a little bit about how your transition from Tennessee to the Olympic Games went. Yeah, so I um,
1: was on my first Olympic team as a freshman at Tennessee. Wow. In 1980, and it was a Moscow Olympics and Russia had invaded Afghanistan. And so President Carter boycotted those games and our team was unable to compete so as an 18 year old you know newbie on a in, oh, in the sport uh, i well. was so unfortunate not to get my first olympic experience at that time i was one of three heard the three hurdlers that made the team that year I was the only one to make the olympic team four years later you know it's none of that's guaranteed you don't get grandfathered in
0: yeah
1: and we uh you know had to do the olympic trials and made the olympic team and won the gold medal, but it was a few weeks before when I was training at Tennessee that I just had this epiphany that I had in the past, you know, we'd only had one ever world championships in track and field the year before, and I had gotten eighth place, made the final, but I got an eighth. Long story short, I had always been thinking when I was in these competitions, because if you might recall, I was in the era of the East German, Russian... Uh, Eastern Bloc countries doping, and the, those women were kind of a force to be reckoned with. And so you didn't have this confidence going into a meet that you would be able to compete at that same level necessarily, certainly make the finals, certainly run fast, but not necessarily win. And so I've been thinking about that and finally realized, gosh, if a handful of those countries, which they did, boycotted, uh, then that opened the playing field up for those of us who were not doping. And so it was an amazing opportunity for me to envision myself on the victory stand. Why not not me? I asked myself, uh, why not me with the gold medal? Why not me with the victory stand? Why not me take the victory lap, cross the finish line first? And so I was able to to win the gold medal. It felt like a self-fulfilling prophecy because I had envisioned that and kind of claimed that medal several weeks before and it was while I was on the track at practice at Tennessee that that kind of change occurred for me
0: is that the first time you had practiced that like type of visualization
1: no I had done visualization a lot okay yeah uh, because my dad was my guidance counselor in high school he studied a lot of that those techniques back in the 70s and early 80s and he passed that all along to me power, positive thinking and, you know, visualization and all those things. So I use those techniques a lot, um,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: but you know, in that particular case, certainly at the state meet or at the NCAA championships or the U S championships, I felt like I was on a level playing field, but these other many times, these other international competitions, it wasn't there. That, yeah. So, and they weren't doing the dope t- anti-doping testing and things at the same level they are today. Um, yeah. They started that a lot of part of my career.
0: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and that does. I mean, it makes a huge difference because now we look back. Well, they up- actually
1: started at the eighty-four games.
0: They did. So okay. Was, yeah.
1: Yeah. So all of us were were drug tested at those games, and some they had done some non-punitive drug testing right before. So for some people that tested positive, they just didn't compete. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay.
0: So it was kind of like it, they were kind of phasing phasing it in because I never knew there was. I've never heard that term non-punitive. So the- that was a whole different level. So, so <laughs> it, it didn't last long. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the 84 games, how have you stayed involved with the Olympic movement over the years? In every way possible. I can't imagine. It's yeah. such, a, such an incredible as force in this world.
1: volunteer as you know, advocating for Title IX with the Women's Sports Foundation as their board chair, uh, working twice, for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, uh, Chief of Sport for USA Track and Field, Chief Operating Officer at USA, U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. I was Director of Olympic Training Centers for them earlier on in my career and lots of boards. I, I will soon be sworn in, which I've never had to do before, mm-hmm. uh, for the U.S. Senate Commission on the State of the Olympics and Paralympics. I'm, I was appointed a year and a half ago and because government moves at government's pace, we <laughs> yeah. are just being sworn in uh, this month.
0: Wow. Well, congratulations. So our, that just gave me the chills. Yes. That's our charge tough. is just 16 of us, okay. and
1: half of us are athletes. And my teammate, Evan Moses, is on there with me. Another teammate, Nancy Hogshead, make our. Uh, oh,
0: oh, I'm such our, a fan
1: yeah she's on the
0: she is legendary uh, there's and- a couple of
1: paralympic athletes it's and then some policymakers, you know former senators and congress people and business people so there are 16 of us will all be sworn in this month and then start our work i think soon thereafter to it's the next iteration of looking at the olympic and amateur sports act that was passed originally in 1978 that really ushered in this latest era of the Olympic movement and where professional athletes can compete, where people can make money and uh, growing these individual sport national governing bodies where they used to all be under this AAU umbrella. So all of that happened in 78, a lot of transformation, a lot of kind of revolutionary change. And I think the the movement is poised for uh, a new revolution, particularly as it relates to athlete health and well-being.
0: That is, that's amazing to hear that that's underfoot and, um, obviously such an important, um, just it's, that story is coming through so important on mm-hmm. from the professional levels, the Olympic down to our college athletes, and even, you know, high school kids and Absolutely. learning how to take care of ourselves, mind, body, and spirit, and how that actually makes you a better athlete. Yes. And And then also beyond that, the identity that we have beyond being an athlete and how to be a, you know, a a better human and a healthier human Mm -hmm. so that we can all connect together in whatever we're good at. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's inspiring. And those are some really great minds to hear that are behind that. So that, that makes me really excited. (laughs) Of
1: course, um, now at I'm the vice president of Community and impact and uh, president. Yeah,
0: let's get into Forum. that. Tell people and, what League Apps is about. Yeah,
1: League Apps is a eSports management technology platform. So, for uh, organizers of clubs and uh, teams and leagues and tournaments, they're able to do registration, all the back end. Uh, organization, so registration and scheduling and payments. Uh, uh, you can even you know purchase uniforms and all that kind of stuff. Websites, it's the app for your phone where you communicate with coaches and players and parents. And so all of those communication tools, all of those organization tools, you know it connects with Salesforce. So your database is integrated. It connects with background tech companies, it, it, with uh, insurance companies, travel companies. So all of that's integrated into one platform. So what we do through FunPlay, and I'm the president of our philanthropic uh, arm of the organization, is provide that software platform for free to organizations uh, supporting kids in underserved communities with free or reduced reduced programming. So everybody has access to youth sports. And so there are hundreds of these organizations across the country. Some are... serving, you know, 50, 60, 100 kids and some serving thousands of kids. And so we have 150 organizations on our platform now that we are giving a free perpetual license uh, to our software. And they're I mean they're serving now a total of almost 400,000 kids.
0: Wow. Well, yeah. when you when you talk about the growth in youth sports and that ability for parents, coaches and athletes to communicate and make that interface easier I mean that that's fundamental and as crazy as our lives are these days and a lot of people have multiple kids and they're all playing different sports it's like that is that is as a mom of four that sounds very foundational to moving making sports more just easier to integrate into our lives yeah Yeah. um and then the other thing you said that grabbed my attention there is I've often thought about this intersection of you know as club sports have become more More of a a landing place for kids at younger and younger ages. I didn't play a club sport till I was a senior in high school. Yeah, and now you know you got kids ten years old that are.
1: I was a junior.
0: Okay, yeah, and you know that there's one the the financial outlay from a young age is so big. Big, it's
1: huge, and the travel. I was um,
0: advocating for a new indoor
1: athletic facility in our county here, and I was talking about. Uh, equity and access being uh, an issue related to the travel that's required for kids to get to competitions. And I said, there's a whole lot of kids who can't afford, you know, to go every weekend to a different uh, tournament or track meet. And by having a facility close by and bringing in that top talent uh, close by and in our backyards, those kids then have the opportunity to compete against the best, be showcased in front of, College coaches and have more opportunities to continue past high school, and I said between January and March, this was early April, just during the indoor track season, we paid about ten thousand dollars to for travel, uh, hotels, fees, food, etc. Yeah, Um, and I said, "What families? You know, there aren't a lot of families who could." outlay that kind of cash for their kids but you know we were focused on helping her get to the the best competition
0: yeah yeah and when you look at all of the lessons that you know even youth sports as as young like you want that access to be there when they're young because their character starts getting developed from the things that they can do and if we're cutting off access or if there's if they don't have that same access you know that gap is just getting wider and wider and so many sports
1: uh, so many lessons as we talk, we start this conversation. Uh, life lessons are learned, and so many benefits accrue to kids who participate at young ages. Uh, I was just seeing a, a recent statistic. I'd always, not always, but for a long time, EY, the Women's Sports Foundation, and others have talked about Fortune women executives in Fortune 500 companies. Over ninety percent of them played sports when they were younger. Well, the same is true for the men that are CEOs of those Fortune 500 companies. The vast majority of them played sports growing up and so there's something to be said for uh, the lessons that you learn and how they prepare you to have a successful life off the track and off the field
0: yeah absolutely um so with league apps what are you are you seeing a growth in all sports across the board oh, are you seeing certain sports that that kind of are highlighted oh, or just oh, every all of them Everything
1: it's just back with a uh, with the exception, of course, of the smallest organizations and those operating in underserved communities. Those were the slowest to come back. More of them you know, were shut down during COVID and, and since were gone out of business. And so what we saw was this huge widening of the discrepancy between the haves and the haves nots. And so this fun play program is certainly geared towards the smaller organizations. But again, those that are providing this free or reduced cost programming, and their sports-based youth development program. So they're using sport as a tool for youth development and community development. And so they're uh, not only teaching the X's and O's of the sport, but they're also providing education support, immigration support, uh, employment opportunities, uh, tutoring, etc. cetera. Wow. So that those kids, you know, very deliberately are taught the, the life lessons that that you can gain through sport. It's not an accident.
0: Wow, Wow! how long have you guys been around? I mean, when did- Big when Ops leave- is,
1: a, is a mid-stage, growth stage startup. Okay. We've actually doubled in size in less than two years that I've been here. And uh, so it's great to see the, the technology uh, being adopted and, and the, the organization growing.
0: That's amazing, um so as far as <laughs> sounds like you have a very full schedule, but are there places um where are are you out speaking these days or um yeah i i, I am, but I don't think most of it's like live streamed or anything like that, yeah. okay, uh, yeah, I
1: very soon'll we'll be doing the um all the this is one exception in a couple of weeks doing the warrior games oh. uh, broadcast oh. or. ESPN for the track and field competition. That'll be on August 25th.
0: Okay. Where are those taking place?
1: In Orlando. Okay. Wild sports. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. I love it. Are you, and then, um, what, what are, what are one of your, your hopes, your daughter heading into that same, that same area? What, yeah, what are some of your hopes for her hope college is, career? You know,
1: she ran in her indoor and outdoor season in 2022, ran 16 personal best times. So, that's where she's at in her development where there's just so much upside for her. And I just want to see her get into a program that nurtures her natural ability, that keeps her inspired and, you know, ignites her passion for the sport and continues to, you know, allow her to do right now what's just going to naturally happen. The more, the more better, you know, instruction she gets, the better she's enjoying it the more she'll apply herself and those times and performances will certainly follow
0: that's that's fantastic that's going to be a fun four years to watch I can imagine yeah so one of the questions I love to ask anybody that comes on my podcast and especially our generation that's in that place of being able to give back from the the lessons that we've learned is you know what's um, a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self that maybe the next generation could learn from
1: yeah, I go back to why not me, I, I would encourage people to ask themselves that question when they're faced with an opportunity or a daunting kind of task, or um, maybe a situation where they normally would think to themselves, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not ready, I'm not good enough, I'm not, you know, uh, yeah, you are. And if you aren't today, what are you doing about it so that you will be? as those opportunities arise in the future. And so, you know, just asking yourself, why not me? So encouraging yourself to take those risks and take advantage of those amazing opportunities that I know will come your way.
0: Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I always love anything that we do that we're a little bit scared of and push past it. You know, we always get better. So yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. So um, where can people find you to connect with you with League Apps? And, um...
1: uh, my main source of social is on LinkedIn. So that's a great, great way. Um, going to LeagueApps.com and you can look up our Fund Play uh, program under our, kind of, I think, I think it's at a community or impact section. And when you go there, you'll see a list of all of our grantees. And what I would encourage listeners to do is Go there, donate, get involved, find the ones that are in your community, uh, support them because we want all kids to have access to the benefits of play.
0: I love it. I love it. We'll make sure all of that gets into the show notes. And I'm just so honored to have had this conversation with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, we'll keep you posted and hopefully you'll help us share this conversation and just keep doing more for youth sports because I love everything that you're involved with. So thank Mm -hmm. you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to What I Meant to Say. If you enjoyed this conversation, you know what to do. Subscribe, rate, review, and for more great content, courses, and lifestyle, go to bebettermedia.tv.